to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 8. This is the second half of Minor Rob's kind of review of the year, top 10 albums of the year. Um, I think we'll dive straight into it as well. So the band we've got in at uh, number 5 on our list is kind of a lesser known band, probably the smallest band on this this uh, releases of the year list. This is the Greek band Universe 217. Um, the album we've put in is their fourth album, Change, from Van Records. So Universe 217 are essentially a kind of another straightforward kind of doom band with um, an incredible vocalist. Like, more so than many other doom bands I can think of, their music is completely built around this vocalist. Mm. They're, they're a four-piece. Um, so you've got uh, Tanya the singer and then Manos, who's the guitarist he plays sort of standard kind of um, six-string, but also kind of rarely for metal. He uses a 12-string guitar quite a lot mm. to make these kind of weird, like, soundscape-y uh, kind of effects over things. Uh, then we have Nikos, the bass player, who also plays keyboards at some point, and then another Manos on drums, unless I've written that down wrong. <laughs> yeah, this is a really special album, and it's, it has some similarities to Sub Rosa in the way that it's got this really sort of basic doom aesthetic to it but really central to this is this incredible like soulful bluesy almost vocal performance which is at the center of everything but it, you see that a bit in the music as well particularly in um, songs like Counting Hours you can feel the influence of really basic blues in this doom and it adds a really sort of playful nature to something which can often be a bit slow but yeah it's got a load of different elements in there. Yeah, essentially, so the makeup of your average Universe 217 song is you'll have the bass and drums be quite simplistic but heavy sounding. Like the bass gets a massive position in this mix and sounds absolutely huge. And they'll kind of put this normally about four minute structure, they don't really go in for the massively long songs. You'll have that at the core, then the guitar will often be used in a far more subtle way. It's not so, so riffy, it's lots of like very jangly, clean tone kind of um, effects over stuff or and that's interspersed with little bits of keyboard that come in like in certain bits. Essentially, like, I think the bass player stops playing bass and plays keyboards at points <laughs> so it can be kind of recreated live. And then, yeah, this was all kind of built around these incredible vocals. Like, definitely one of my favourite singers of, of the re- like just recent years. Mm-hmm. Like, this woman is utterly incredible. Not particularly high, actually. Real kind of like for a female singer, quite a low range. Yeah, like, definitely. Like, uh, yeah, you could be forgiven for thinking this was a, a guy singing on these albums. The um, so I first got into this band with their third album, Never, which is a bit more of a weird affair. There's a lot of um, different ideas there. And they do a lot. Of, they had a lot of songs on that, which were kind of like uh, they almost seem like half a song, where you get like a riff for a bit. And they'd never revisit that riff and then go into a weird, like, soundscape ending. Whereas this, um, they followed that up with the EZP, which was way more mellow, but sort of more traditional songs and a bit more kind of, like, build-up type elements. And they kind of cemented that together with Change Now, where we've got these kind of almost pop-structured, like, classic pop or rock-structured songs for a lot of, a lot of this, like, verse-chorus, uh, middle-eight kind of setup. Occasional ones where they make it a bit weird. So, for example, Burn has this bit where it fades out in the middle and essentially comes back in with a different song. Mm. Uh, yeah, Changed as a sort of similar thing as well. It's the only sort of really long song on the album. It's nearly 13 minutes long. Yeah. It has that where it, yeah, it almost feels like there's two different songs there. But it, 
it does sort of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the other real addition of this album, because effectively we've got similar kind of production values to all the stuff, just slightly tuned up, just slightly... Mm-hmm. Slightly better, and it is a brilliant sounding album. Yeah, I, yeah. I think the kind of critical thing to nail with Doom is to get that huge tone out of the bass and drums, and everything just sits so nicely in the mix. Being a four piece as well, like there isn't much fighting for attention between the instruments, mm-hmm. they all very clearly have their position. Yeah, the other big change is. As I said before, the singer doesn't really have a high range. But what she started doing on this album is those bits where she's kind of reaching for a higher note. She's turned into these insane, like, kind of like gargling black metal screams. Yeah, yeah, it's really quite something. It really emphasises the sort of, you know, really high points of this album. But yeah, it, the whole thing is just built around this phenomenal vocal performance. Yeah, I, I've never seen a band like in this genre kind of hang quite so much on that. Like mm. beyond even like the kind of candle masses, where yeah. you, you know, like Messiah obviously has a huge position <laughs> yeah. in those mixes. But yeah, yeah so I, I think essentially this is quite a quite a different band. Like they they do definitely have their own unique flavor of doom, which seems to be becoming a theme for stuff mm. we're covering mm. this year. Um, so in comparison to say Sub Rosa, their lyrics aren't anywhere near as poignant or yeah, um, yeah. yeah kind of that, that powerful but they, they kind of they definitely get the job done it's kind of like um, questioning relationship type themes yeah. it's, it's a little more vague than the sort of the points that are landed in some of the other like sub songs we've talked about but again like the lyrics work perfectly for the delivery that's given like sometimes mm. all you need is one word um, given the correct sort of vocal performance and that sounds incredibly powerful yeah there's a lot of kind of repeated phrases here and mm. like it definitely kind of plays into this being quite a like trance like album you can really get lost in this and sort of stop paying attention and just get into the massive atmosphere like yeah this this has a less sort of like really depressing atmosphere as bands like Sub Rosa and more just this incredibly powerful like you can just feel the impact of the moments of the song that you're looking at as we're talking a lot of doom bands are masters of like building up and giving you exactly the right point to deliver all of this like power be it in a guitar riff or be it in a vocal performance and this is another great example of that yeah like almost like some of these songs where they do build up into something they're almost quite uplifting when they come in with yeah, these, these yeah. sort of like massive choruses with these like yeah repeating vocal hooks which help the melodies like really get stuck in your head Essentially, yeah, they are just a slightly different band, and I really love what they're doing. Mm. I I think there's other bands that sound like them, but there's just something about the package with, like, say, the 12-string guitars with the kind of quite unique vocal approach where I can't think of a direct comparison for them, really. No, no, it's very difficult. Particularly, like, you know, the streamlined nature of a lot of the songs on this album, you know, four or five minutes for Doom songs, that's really restrained. Mm. And watching some live videos as well, like watching their drummer play incredibly restrained where someone else might have put a more technical feel he'll put maybe two hits in mm. which emphasises the point perfectly and just gives you room to breathe which is exactly what you need with their style of music I think so the disappointing thing as far as I can tell I don't believe they ever really play outside Greece because the live mm. videos I've seen they're a very good live band yeah yeah like they lose nothing the vocalist is just as powerful it doesn't even sound like like you're missing out on overdubs which mm. must be there on the album but you can't tell, yeah. Yeah, they're like these guys are just masters of tone and yeah, essentially just creating this brilliant atmosphere. So the song we're gonna go for off of this one is the second track on the album, it's this counting hours. It starts with like just this awesome like bass led riff and mm. then 
then uh, her vocals just come in and yeah, this really soars yeah. as a track. Yeah. And yeah, keep an air out for those incredible screams. I think <laughs> this has one of my favourite yes. screams on this. Yeah, of course.
Okay, so number four on our list is the band Oathbreaker with their recent album, Rear, uh, which was on the label um, Death Wish Inc. So Oathbreaker are an interesting band which come from the sort of hardcore scene um, and then have incorporated a whole bunch of different influences, sort of including um, sludge metal, post-metal, shoegaze elements, and I would argue like is really reminiscent of a lot of black metal bands at this mm. point. Um, and again, like we've talked about of a few bands, particularly Universe 217, an amazing central vocal performance, <laughs> which varies. It, there's some clean bits and there's a lot of harsh, but there's a lot of clean that's been added on this album. There was some on the last album, but now it's taking much more a centre stage. And it's, again, the whole album is sort of built around this and it's a phenomenal performance. Yeah, so um, Oathbreaker um, are a, kind of hardcore meets a lot of other genres band from... Uh, Belgium, which is kind of rare mm, to get yeah. like uh, popular metal bands from from there. Although maybe maybe there could be an argument that this isn't a metal band, and in fact a hardcore band. I find telling the difference at certain points is it's tricky. There's, there's a lot of grey area. So this is their third album. Like uh, their first album was just far more straight up, really like groove driven, heavy riffing with um, uh, Kara Tangi vocals that are just like these insane high pitched screams. With this has been developed over the years, like the second album took on loads more of like an atmospheric black metal influence, yeah, yeah. and like had a complete switch up in production. The first album was like super clean, super well produced, and then they kind of went for this far more stripped back, slightly kind of echoey like black metal sound. This third album, they kind of combined the two to an extent. So yeah, that's so. It's it's got a much nicer, clearer production than the previous album. And the songs are kind of more condensed down as well. Like, I think the previous album had a lot of songs that were kind of up to like about the 10 minute mark. Mm, mm. Whereas these are more kind of like five, six minute songs. The huge change Rob uh, alluded to earlier is the singer has gone from doing these kind of like crazed screams all the time to some quite odd clean vocals. Like, Yeah, so I remember I was playing this, so I was cooking in the kitchen and my girlfriend was saying to me, it, was like, it really sounds like she's in pain. And, and that's sort of the thing. It's really unsettling and creepy. And it matches the atmosphere of this. And I'd say, similar to Sub Rose we were talking about, this is not an album I would listen to if I was not in a good mood. <laughs> it's a very creepy and quite disturbing album, I find. And I love it for that. Yeah. So, like, I think the, the big thing they kind of made a change with in the lyrical direction of this album was the singers made it, like, very personal songs. These, these are kind of stories of her past. There's a great interview with them on the Song Exploder podcast, where they do like a 20 minute dissection of the first two songs on the album. And they are like, like I think they're essentially about like her alcoholic father and dealing yeah. with that as a small child. And it's, yeah, quite a bleak and brutal. Really? As, yeah, particularly towards the end, like screaming these passages. I think it was, um, You'll Never Know the Person I've Become. And it has this like personal ring to it, which just makes it feel incredibly genuine. And you really get the sense of the emotion from her, like now really quite varied delivery. You have these frenzied sort of screaming stuff she describes as more shouting, um, which all sort of blends together. And then you have these quite unsettling, clean vocals, which. Yeah, just in, do this yeah. incredible message. Like, like the, the refrain in the second half of that song of uh, Don't Make Me Piss You in the End. Like, I think the story is something like um, her father came back early in the morning just absolutely hammered and yeah. just collapsed in their driveway and her as a small kid had to like help him into the house. Mm -hmm. And yeah, very bleak stuff. Like 
a lot of the songs on this album are really bleak sounding. <laughs> yeah. uh, the next track, uh, "Being Able to Feel Nothing," definitely in that vibe, like that kind of vein of the, the the character in the song. I don't know how true to her this is. Just sort of having this kind of nihilistic reaction to life, like essentially doing things but having literally no reaction to them, and well, amazingly the, captures that in a song. The idea of that song is not quite what it sounds like, is it? The lyrics in that song were inspired by something quite different to what you might think. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly, like, I, there's enough metaphor in it, I don't know quite what's going on, but it sounds like the start of it is, like, the character, like, either mutilating themselves or a partner, mm-hmm. and then, then sort of, like, leaving this part and walking out, like, leaving whatever room that happened and walking outside and just being like, it's odd I don't feel anything, <laughs> which is yeah, fucking yeah, dark. Blink. Yeah, so, I mean, I would draw some similarities to one of my favourite albums of all time, uh, Voices London, which we covered a while ago, in the bleak nature of this album. And they come from very different directions. You have Voices coming from an agriculture, black metal, death metal sort of end, and this coming out of the hardcore scene with elements of shoegaze and black metal sort of coming in afterwards. But they both reach this sort of bleakness. I find this one more unsettling than I find Voices, but they both have these moments of sort of calm... Uh, with sort of slightly weird clean vocals which are unsettling, and their moments of just absolute balls to the walls, real aggression, uh, like the screaming at the end of Second Son of R, and and at the end of um, being able to feel nothing as well, which is just like complete and utter mayhem. Yeah, yeah, it it is really intense. We haven't really, really got into much of the rest of the band actually. So the the you've got the standard like free piece of guitar, bass, and drums, and like. The drums go from kind of quite subtle to like proper like blast beating insanity. Mm. Um, the guitars are like fairly distorted. There's not a huge amount of clean tone stuff. Like mm. there will be bits I think where they switch into acoustic guitars for some of the more mellow moments. Yeah, and there's a couple of bits. Um, well, at the beginning, like 1056 as well, has just this sort of like ambient sound to it, very much taking influence from shoegaze bands mm. of lots of guitar effects and that sort of thing, and then just breaks into this ridiculous black metal blast beat section. So I think a lot of the black metal influence comes from their bass player, who is in a band whose name I've completely forgotten. I know the name translates to sudden infant death syndrome. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, like I saw them at Damnation two years back, and they're absolutely incredible. I don't know yeah. why the why the name's escaping me, but I yeah, think he's yeah. the one who really draws them in that direction of having like these very black metal-esque riffs. Mm. Like, their genre is described, I found, like, one quote online where it, the, the list of genre influences was genres between hardcore, heavy metal, avant-garde, black metal, cross-punk, sludge metal, post-metal, and shoegaze. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, that means anything to you, like... Yeah, yeah. But, but that's the thing, like, this album takes a huge range of influences and creates something that's like, sounds pretty fresh. It doesn't sound like an old you know, black metal album, but it doesn't sound quite like a hardcore album or quite like a shoegaze album. It takes all of these things and builds this own unique package of it. Mm. Yeah, essentially as well, they, these are another band. I think that we've got tickets for their tour coming up uh, early January time. Yeah. But this is a band you have to see live. Like, the, the they just, the package just works live. Like, they have such presence. Like, the bass player is an absolutely gigantic man who, like, leaps around on stage. And the vocalist, like, just does sort of bizarre stuff and has like a really unique presence. I remember mm-hmm. I initially came across this band when they played the first Temples Festival about four years back 
And <laughs> my main memory of them is the singer sitting on the floor in a white dress with like hair covering her face, just like screaming like in towards the ground. Yeah. It was. Yeah, quite an intense image, and it really fits with this music. You you can get a little sense of that, I suppose, from watching some of the music videos. Uh, the one from this, from 1056 and Second Son of R, is that, yeah, again, it's pretty intense music video, which just has the rest of the musicians from the band just sort of in this white room playing all the music. And then you have the singer going through this weird sort of variety of different, like, art things, um, throwing dust around on the floor, covering her head in a bag and stuff like that. It's really intense, but really mirrors the intensity of the music. Yeah, she seems uh, like in that, that Sonic Exploder podcast, she was really like discussing, I think, the intensity she sort of feels these songs with. Like the, the final screams on Second Son of Art are just completely unhinged. And, yeah. like, I think she said she was doing them with no technique. She was mm. just like, mm. just wrecking her vocal cords, yeah. but. Makes a cool noise. Yeah, it feels incredibly genuine when you hear that. Don't know how they're going to be able to do that live, but <laughs> the other thing you can hear as well on that podcast is um, the isolated vocals about the instruments behind them, and that sounds terrifying but incredible. I really like is this. I I'm not so much into hardcore, but I gather this is a sort of more hardcore style vocals mm. as opposed to the sort of death metal or progressive metal that we're more into or doom stuff. But I really like this style, and it works so well for this intensity because it's not a classic black metal vocal style um, no. mixed with some of these riffs, which could be described as more black metal. But it, again, as we were saying, intensity, it gets it exactly right. And I really like this different vocal style here. The thing I kind of really enjoy about the vocals is, like, essentially, like, for the scream side of it, I'd love more of this in black metal of having female vocalists who've got slightly higher range doing the screams. Yeah, you can take yeah. them to this ludicrous point, which... I think a lot of old black metal vocalists would probably wanted to get to, but mm, mm. obviously are limited by just quite how high their voice can go. Yeah, yeah, and, and just different techniques create different soundscapes, and that's really cool. I think, yeah, much like the previous album we covered, uh, University on Sevens, this is another album where the vocalist does steal the show from mm. some very awesome and original songwriters in the background but that's the thing is like with both of these bands it's playing for the song and that's what the musicians do and the vocals are the center point of the song but all the other instrumentation that's going on that creates this atmosphere which just allows the vocals to steal the show like that's what true songwriting is mm. when you produce an album this great like that's how it ends out yeah yeah essentially like I think this band are unlike Universe 217 finally getting some real critical acclaim mm. I think a lot of people have caught their live sets have just been totally sold on them I yeah. mean yeah I, I was into them straight away having just caught like 20 minutes at a festival and I think that happened to a lot of us when we saw them again at Damnation uh, last year so um, the only real criticism of this album I've got is there's a four minute like interlude track that I don't understand yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd probably agree with you. As interlude tracks in general, I'm not so sold on them. And if you really need to break up some intense tracks, but then the intensity of this album is, I feel, one of its real strong points. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like almost didn't need to, because it's essentially like a kind of mellow noise track for four minutes. Mm. And essentially, I just didn't really feel I needed the break in that. I was quite happy yeah, to sort yeah. of go through the, uh, the brutality of the rest of it. Mm -hmm. So the uh, the song we're playing off of this one is uh, the second track, Second Son of R. This is like this is a very good summary of how intense they are and showcases a lot of the clean vocals mixed in with these mad like 
whatever you would call them screams. Yeah. And this this was written and is performed um as part that you have ten fifty six a song before and second son of R and normally one whole piece. We're just gonna be showing you Second Son of R because like it's just really good. Although yeah. although the build up does really help, but this shows the intensity and the brutality and just the power that this band get when they all get on point. <laughs>
Okay, so um, number three on our um, list of top ten albums uh, is a Devon Townsend project with their latest record, Transcendence, from Heavy Devi Records. And we have covered this one before fairly recently. Um, and this is mainly my doing the details. because I'm a huge Devon Townsend fan. I was so happy to have this album come back. And just sort of in general, I would say that it's a summation of all the work that Devon has done to date, put into this one album with influence from musicians that he's been working with for such a long time. It brings together some of the proggier elements, some of the relentlessly happy elements from recently, and some of the slightly darker elements and the really heavy elements from things like Deconstruction and Strapping Young Lad, and puts them all into one really tight and really well-made package in this album of Transcendence, and I was really, really pleased with this record. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people would agree this is one of the better or more together albums he's done in quite a while because the, the previous two albums, while good and interesting, I would definitely say were a bit too long, whereas this one really felt to the point and tight. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it came with a whole extra um, disc of uh, demos and other things. There's some really cool stuff worth checking out, but and which I think both Epic Cloud and Sky Blue did as well. Mm. Um, but well, with this album, there's definitely some cool stuff to check out there, but this album is really tight and offers some really great songs. And the thing that I really like about it is it has these incredible positive highs in the album, which Devin is a master at doing. No one else can do them like him. Mm. But it also has some more sort of negative emotions in it, uh, particularly in tracks like Failure. You know, there's frustration and you can hear darker themes within it. And I think that makes the positive bits stand out all the more and be all the more momentous just due to this little bit of variation. Same thing with having the much heavier bits, like the middle section of the song Higher, which is just like deconstruction strapping on that incredibly heavy riffs which I love and then that makes the rest of it where you have these more sort of operatic epic sections sound even more epic because they're paired next to these contrasts which mm. I really like yes I think essentially higher is definitely my highlight of the album that yeah. that middle yeah. section is quite something um, again like this is this is standard, like, Devon Fair. This does sound like a Devon Townsend Project album. Yeah, yeah. Straight away, you hear that weird, echoey guitar tone. Yeah, it's like the reverb and the chorus just pushed as high as they can go. But the other really cool thing about this, I uh, mentioned before, is there's some cool studio diaries which are really worth checking out um, from each, from perspective of each member of the band. Um, and he's with musicians he's been working with for a long time, with um, Beave on bass, Ryan on drums, um, Dave on guitar, and Mike St. Jean on keyboards. Mm. Um, and it's really worth looking at this, because this is the first album where Devin hasn't been just the pure mastermind and has written everything and just brought the musicians in. He's been working with them, and they've been adding their own suggestions to the songs, mm. writing parts, helping with the process of putting it all together. And I think that's really helped, particularly with the incredible production. There's just some amazing moments of drumming and guitar playing, which hasn't all come from Devin. It's had the um, input of these other great musicians that he's worked with for so long and who understand exactly what he's going for. And I think that's really helped flesh this album out and make it more diverse and more interesting than perhaps some of the stuff that's come recently. Uh, yeah, so I think from this album we're going to play... Oh, a slightly weird one. Yeah. Uh, this this is definitely in the kind of vein of Lucky Animals and being the obnoxiously <laughs> catchy moment of the album. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is probably some of the heavier riffs if you remove that really, like, over-the-top <laughs> keyboard <Keyboards>, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, this is um, the eighth track from the album, Off Your Lights, and this will get so wet in your head after this. <laughs> 
So getting near the top of our countdown now. This is um, the second place album is a band I've only got into recently, but I think yeah will be very popular this year. This is um, the Fresh Band Vector and their third album, Terminal Redux, released on Eric Records actually. Actually, have been some really cool releases on Eric mm. this year. Um, Worm Rot's awesome grind uh, yeah. of voices, voices was quite impressive as well. So they're a Pennsylvania-based thrash band, and it's kind of weird. In I haven't been into new thrash albums in years. I just the whole thrash revival movement completely passed me by. I didn't I didn't really get on board with bands like Evil and Municipal Waste all that much. But there was something about this band Vector that I've just never heard done with thrash before. Essentially, you've got the core of a standard thrash band of a singer who also plays guitar, guitarist, drums, and bass. But the way they write songs is... Essentially, they're a genre that I used to say was impossible to exist, but um, now I've heard a few examples. Like, oh, maybe this is actually a thing. I would call them progressive thrash. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they, they... Rare for thrash songs. They can make really good nine minute long songs yeah yeah in fact most of the songs on this album are like well over five or six minutes looking at seven eight and nine and like it's just the strange songwriting because a lot of the riffs if you take them in isolation they're just thrash riffs and there's a huge amount of energy that goes into every sort of moment of Vector bars a couple of bits where they really slow down Mm. uh, particularly on Recharging the Void the final track is a really sort of slow bit and there's this variation and there's other elements they take from different genres of music. There's sort of black metal-y style, tremolo-picked bits. And particularly the vocals, I think, take a lot from black metal. And you can, you can almost imagine this is ABBA from Immortal at some point. <laughs> yeah, so essentially like 99% of the vocal delivery is these really high-pitched um, like black metal screams. Yeah. Um, the thing I'd say like, really just keeps this in the thrash camp is essentially it has the thrash staple of Lots of really fast, palm-muted, open string riffs. And yeah, I, I yeah. think that's essentially what thrash is, really. Yeah, when you distill it down, there's a huge amount of that. But they make it incredibly interesting with the huge variety of riffs and a, and a drummer that at sometimes can stay still and manage to hold this like huge, chaotic mess together. And then at sometimes he's part of this chaos himself and is never staying still. And mm. I really like that about the album. Like The whole thing is just full of energy. And as you were saying, like it's just exciting to listen to. And I haven't felt that about Thrash for quite a while. No. I've got some of the early Evil, but yeah, this is just really exciting. Yeah, and like the real like noticeable thing about Vector is just the sheer amount of riffs they have. Like they most songs on this album will have like twelve riffs yeah, in them or something. Yeah. Absolutely insane. They're just ever changing and they will just quickly switch between them and making essentially like it gives the album this feel you never quite remember it perfectly no no you can remember a couple of the riffs but you don't know which songs they came from and I think that's part of what like is different about the songwriting like it doesn't it does come back to riffs but that's not the staple of it the staple of it is to go on to something new and interesting and exciting and it keeps doing that and bringing in influences from like other areas of music be it sort of like progressive metal or black metal or something Mm. like that so you never really know where it's going they, um, the mix of this album is really something special as well. Mm. It's got almost a kind of Rust in Peace era Megadeth type mix yeah, where yeah. you've got the, the drums and bass are really front and centre, but the guitars are still getting 
really getting in on the action and everything's tone is just perfect to make the sound huge and clear like the fact that like the bass cuts through on an album like this yeah it's really remarkable there's even a bass solo somewhere on this there's a there? bass yeah. solo I think it's in Psychotropia there's like a yeah. sort of trade off between the guitar and bass this bass player plays so damn fast <laughs> like it's sort of a, it's like you're definitely playing with a pick but he's doing that amazing thing where these riffs are like 90 miles an hour and yeah. he is completely matching them and sometimes they like outstripping them when you come through <laughs> come through the mix the other the other interesting uh, thing about this band is lyrically they're um, they always do sci-fi concept albums yeah, yeah. Um, the, the singer is obsessed with sci-fi um, he has a tattoo of sci-fi or die on his arm <laughs> I don't know when I saw him at Bloodstock earlier this year <laughs> And yeah, this album is kind of, I haven't fully got my head around the concept, but it's something about like a, some space station in the future, I think known as the Cygnus Terminal, doing some experiments on a kind of post-human type character mm. who then becomes like a god, essentially, um, like raises humanity to this level where they like exist outside of time. And then they all become depressed because essentially this existence is really weird and kill themselves. <laughs> I think that's basically okay, the yeah. concept. Was a, it's got an amazing cover as well, which presumably depicts this space station sort mm. of in this weird multicolored like area of space. And just seeing that album cover is one of those things you walk into a shop and you see you're like, I want to buy that because that's fantastic. Yeah, I'd say definitely the best album cover like to come out this year. It's an absolutely yeah, beautiful yeah. piece of art and has the great thing of like when you open the booklet up, it's got an extensive... Yeah, it's even bigger. It's yeah, awesome. it's a second piece to go with it. Yeah, really like beautiful picture. Um, other kind of interesting things about this, like just stuff you just wouldn't expect in French. Like the, the album opens with Charging the Void and then the final track of the album is called Recharging the Void and they're like they both kind of reference each other like yeah, they're yeah. sort of just variations of the same riff in both but without becoming remotely boring or yeah yeah it has, it has a real maturity to it in that sense which is like there's a lot of fantastic thrash out there but maybe it doesn't have and it takes this like base formula of thrash puts more in it changes it up like really goes on board with the sort of let's go really fast let's have a hundred riffs mm. in every song at 90 miles an hour all the time and then manages to sort of lace themes throughout the album as well which is a real mark of great songwriting yeah and, and then we you get really just bizarre choices later on like the second from last track, uh, Collapse, we get a load of clean vocals from the singer. Yeah. Now, he's not exactly an accomplished clean vocalist, he, but he it works for this. Like, he's not a great singer, but like we have this really mellow, the kind of ballad of the album, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Like, lots of very clean tone guitars, like, melodic leads... And then him doing these kind of like mid-range vocals. And then like halfway through it, he starts laying his screams underneath <laughs> the clean vocals, which is a bizarre sound. Yeah, it just leads you to think, what on earth am I listening to? But it, it somehow it works and it pulls together. And yeah, this builds up into like a massive crescendo ending. Like, yeah, effectively a nine minute long like mm. mad ballad, which is <laughs> incredibly impressive. Other like really odd choices they made that there's um they have two guest vocalists on Charging the Void and Recharging the Void doing these weird like ambient kind of chanting bits in the background. Um, they are Nima Z Maddox and Rosie Mary Thickey who are both like I think they're like pop and soul vocalists. Mm. So they've got in to add this bizarre like 
yeah, just bizarre clean vocals over some of the mellow, yeah. more mellow passages. It's really weird choices. Yeah, but it really helps with sort of an atmosphere to this album, which is something that you don't see with a lot of thrash. It's not to say thrash is bad, it's just not the sort of area that it goes in for. And it's awesome to see someone bring that in, even in small steps. Like, it's incredible. They made This album's nearly 70 minutes long. It's like 10 tracks, most of them well over seven minutes mm. and they keep it interesting they keep varying things up so you've got like Charging the Void goes through quite a lot of movements and you have like the clean vocals come in and then some really blazing fast passages into Cygnus Terminal which kind of starts off mellower and gets heavier and heavier mm. to the end and then um, track three LCD which is just like balls to the wall a million miles an hour yeah. <laughs> right from the <laughs> up, outset and it's just such a good album in that kind of way of you just find something new every time you listen to it. Yeah, yeah, I've listened to this a lot, and every time you still think, oh, that's a really interesting riff, and I don't remember that bit at all. Or like, oh, that vocal delivery was really, really interesting. Or, you know, just noticing the bass. So finally, after trying to get your head around all these riffs, you notice, oh, the bass actually sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like, just the playing and the tone of every... And these guys are such good musicians. They are ludicrously talented. Mm -hmm. And having seen them live, there's no studio trickery on it or anything. These guys are just that tight. Which for a band on their third album is utterly bizarre. There's so many riffs to remember and different songs and different structures and all that sort of thing is incredible. Yeah, I, 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 with an album like this, when reproducing it live, you're like, how do you even remember that many, <laughs> that many kind of weird riffs? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If there's much else to cover of this, but essentially, I'd say Vector are saving fresh at the moment. They, they've yeah, yeah. rekindled an interest in it with by kind of combining like I would assume, considering their logo looks almost identical, that there's a yeah. massive like. <laughs> early Voivod uh, yeah, influence yeah. going in there mixed with your more Metallica-y kind of riffs but like almost like Kill em All Metallica where it sounds yeah, a bit unhinged yeah where it's like it's not down tuned it's just incredibly fast and this gives it this aggressive feel yeah but I guess that's the other element that makes it more thrashy of the this isn't I would assume these guitars aren't in anything more than like sort of drop D or something yeah, like that yeah that's what I would have thought but yeah it is it's kind of hard to guess that Mm-hmm. Um, essentially for this one we wanted to play a, like there's a load of songs we wanted to play but there's only two that are like five minutes long <laughs> so we've gone for um, Pillars of Sand which is again just quite a kind of typical Vector style mm-hmm. this is just showcases there hundreds of riffs like quite a catchy chorus as well like, yeah definitely I didn't mention that earlier they're, they're quite memorable kind of lyrical phrasing and yeah and you just get uh, David DeSanto's like bizarre vocal delivery yeah, yeah. which I could see like that being what puts certain people off this album but personally I absolutely love the weird black metal screams to me it just makes it feel more unique and more interesting than a lot of other releases but yeah definitely like definitely a band to watch in the future I don't think this will be their kind of um, their peak I think they, they have just been improving album to album like, yeah all yeah. three of their albums really worth picking up and definitely see them live if, you, if you're into fresh metal it doesn't get better than this
so before we get into the final album, like the the winner of this year's uh, like top ten, effectively, mm. like, and I think there's a very good chance you'll be able to guess what we've gone <laughs> for. Um, me and Rob thought we um, would go over just like all the other like notable mentions and interesting albums that sort of just missed the mark this year. So we've had like I think I mentioned earlier. Worm Rock released Voices, which is like their most interesting album to date. Like, yeah, it's a really like solid piece of grindcore. Yeah, uh, but with like bits of melody in places. Yeah, in yeah. two minute long songs, it's yeah. Yeah, Worm Rock definitely someone I want to cover at some point. But yeah, just missed out on this one for Sub Rosa. I think um, another really interesting band called the Bloods this year is Voden, who are like a bizarre stoner band. Where it's just uh, drums and guitar with this really powerful vocalist over the top of it. Just never heard anything quite like it. Uh, very, very weird and very worth checking out. The album just... I, I think there's sort of production issues of the album just means it isn't quite as good as it could be. Um, Ross and Christ released uh, Rituals. Rituals, yeah, which, which is a really great album. It really distills what they go for. No one writes this sort of weird... They have a weird sort of simplicity to the way they write things, which works so well, particularly on an album that's based around this whole idea of rituals, and each song is its own self-contained ritual. They've got references to World of Warcraft and things like this as well. <laughs> it's it's a really great album. Yeah, which is always funny. They strike me so serious and then have like computer game <laughs> references. It's quite yeah, fun. Yeah. Um, Narunga Bunja releases Z, which is like them going more down the melodic path. They went down with Tau. I suffer slightly for almost being too melodic, like too kind of mellow and just is a touch forgettable in places, but it has some really cool moments. Uh, Meshuggah, Violent Sleep of Reason, essentially sounds like more Meshuggah. Yeah. You've, you've got to check out um, Thomas Hack's drum playthroughs from this because they are phenomenal. The man is a machine. And just watching him play these tracks, it does such unconventional sort of drum just just grooves and stuff which are incredibly groovy but just weird it's definitely one to watch yeah and, and just Meshuggah really eternally mm. in that vein much like Opeth where people just can't do their sound loads no, cry and no. there's only one Meshuggah um, Haken's Affinity came out which like it's cool but it's not the mountain it's very interesting yeah like it, it takes in a completely different like style to the mountain and I think that's a good thing for them to keep experimenting because I don't think they would ever better the mountain, which we've covered before. And there's some re- it's really great bits. Um, uh, there's some harsh vocals from IR from Leprous on this. Yeah, and yeah. there's also there's also a song which descends into dubstep at one point, and I actually quite like it, uh, which is yeah, like surely a sign of something good. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the really huge releases of this year, which I think will be doing well on a lot of lists, is um, Gojira's Magma, which I I think is possibly the most like tight album they've ever written like i'm not the biggest gojira fan i've always found in the past that albums to be a bit overly long this one they've really cut things down and with the introduction of like really quite good clean vocals and so on this was yeah quite an impressive release because mm. uh, i really thought after the enfant sauvage that they basically spun out the formula because that album was quite tedious mm. but apparently they still got something in it yeah uh, another band sort of just perfecting the formula, Fresh Girl Apocalypse King. Yeah, this is a really, really great album and just shows what Fresh Girl Apocalypse do best, mixing this death metal with classical music and opera. And like, it's just a great example of that. Um, really sort of epic songs, but then with really fast, aggressive death metal style sections. 
I've seen them play some of this stuff live, and it like it's amazing live. The sort mm. of dual sort of vocalist with your operatic style, the proper opera singing, and then death metal. It works so well, and no one can quite pull it off like Flesh God Apocalypse. Do. No, they, they certainly have their own sound, and effectively, yeah, although they are like death metal Demi Borger, they just mm. do that sound very, very yeah. well. Yeah, and I, I think have a hell of a lot better live show than Demi Borger. <laughs> um, now, now, a whole bunch of albums, which will probably be ones I really love at some point soon, but just haven't given enough time to. Uh, the new Alcest albums, like, sounds pretty cool, but mm. it's very atmospheric, so I need to spend a bit more time on it. Yeah. Um, Mithras have come back with On Strange Loops, which sounds like very much a continuation of uh, Behind Shadows Lie Madness, mm-hmm. which is great, because no one sounds like those guys. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely one to watch uh, for live performances and so on. Neurosis have got a new album out, and again, Neurosis albums take a hell of a long time to digest, but it sounds very cool. Yeah, yeah. Ulcerate have uh, continued with Shrines of Paralysis. Was there sort of like death metal, which you can barely follow what's going on, but it's, it's really interesting. They, they kind of have started to tend towards a formula, but um, yeah, like their last three albums do sound kind of samey, mm. but again, they don't sound quite unique. And yeah. I could listen to that drama endlessly. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Vader have released another Vader album that sounds like Vader. Yeah, it's quite good. <laughs> There's a lot of Vader albums have been. I like. I sort of. I was giving this a bit of a listen today, and I sort of miss the primal ferocity and intensity of some of the earlier releases. But no one can deny that they write this catchy as hell death metal, which would be like it's just awesome to see. Mm. Um, great to. Uh, sort of mosh too. Oh yeah, definitely. I found with recent Vader though, I'm very much falling into that sort of camp of like, I'll pick up every other album or so, like I don't need every single one they're churning out because essentially they're all in quite a similar vein and, yeah, yeah. and I don't think I fully digested the last one at the point of the Empire coming out. Mm. Massive release you've probably seen loads about, seen like 20 odd music videos <laughs> of. Uh, Metallica have come back with Hardwired to Self-Destruct. And it's... It's got some good moments. I mostly find it fairly forgettable. I mean, I just, I just think for me, this is like if we're looking at thrash, then something like Vector is really new and really exciting. Like a lot of old thrash bands, I believe Testament released something this year as mm-hmm. well as of Megadeth. A lot of this just leaves me a little cold, and I just don't think that's really my thing anymore. Yeah, essentially, I'm glad, like, say, Megadeth, Testament, and Metallica are coming out with these albums, which are essentially like keeping them ticking over. Like, mm. Megadeth are not releasing another Super Collider. Yeah, like, yeah, the God. latest album is kind of cool. It's just essentially you've heard it before, mm. Mm. and I just, yeah, I struggle to get excited by that. Um, but probably will be really good live and the fact they're going back yeah. to their roots means the sets will like Metallica's current tour I imagine will be awesome because it will probably have loads of like kill them all and ride the lightning moments yeah yeah, which is really great yeah um, so like final two um, Witchery have released uh, the worst titled album of the year in his eternal in his eternal majesty's service <laughs> but it's more Witchery and it sounds fucking cool um Shame they've lost Axe on this album, but the new guy seems mm-hmm. to be like holding up to their usual standards. Uh, my favourite album title of the year has to be Inquisition's Blood Str- Bloodshed Across the Imperium Altar Beyond the Celestial Zenith. <laughs> Slightly outdoing yeah. uh, Despot Omega for most pretentious <laughs> title. <laughs> and another band I definitely want to ca- like uh, cover at some point on here is... Um, France's Worm Food have come up. I completely missed this release. I only spotted it the other day. Um, Worm Food are essentially the only band I found recently 
who are doing the kind of heavier end of the typo sound. Because mm. like, typo just don't seem to have spread that much influence, or at least there's not enough. There's not a lot of bands doing that kind of sound, and these guys have taken that and mixed it with some like kind of black metal weirdness. And, yeah, yeah, led to like the latest sound sounds really interesting and atmospheric, and essentially, yeah, just not a lot of people doing it. So it's really cool mm-hmm. to hear. Excellent. Um, yeah, I guess. Any predictions for next year? Anything you think is going to... So, I mean, we flagged this one anyway, but New Agacocca is currently being recorded. We've seen some photos of um, Blast Vader himself, David Gray, in the studio, so I'm very excited for what we're going to get from that. I think we've got new voices coming as well. Like, mm. uh, Peter seems to be... Uh, like vo- Voices vocalist seems to be in studio with a lot of various projects at the moment, so... Yeah, I'm extremely excited for what that might turn up. I think we've got a lot of interesting stuff coming out of London this year, so that'll be pretty exciting. And I think, like, before we get on to our number one, just in general, 2016's been an interesting year. It's been a watershed year for politics and all sorts of other things, but metal releases have been fantastic. And anyone who thinks that metal is dead or anything like that, just look at the huge variety of great albums that have been released this year. Doing new things and combining things that haven't been combined before, like Zealand or something like that. It's, yeah, yeah. The amount of diversity and really great stuff that's been put out is just mad. Yeah, it really, like... I think we in like the best ever time for metal. Like mm. effectively, bands can record so easily now. You're getting this full spectrum of ideas being able to be recorded and recorded really well. So we yeah, getting mad releases like Vodan's Possession, which mm. just sounds completely alien to anything else. And it's so nice you can find exactly your little niche in metal now, whatever sound you think's cool. There'll be someone doing it really mm. well. And and you might never have these huge metallica level stadium bands again, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because you can always find that one band that just does the thing that you want to listen to. Yeah. You can always yeah. find them. Uh, but that brings us nicely on to our number one album of the year. And this is with a band we talked about quite a lot, actually. Uh, this is Oceans of Slumber with their album Winter on Century Media. And we covered this a while ago. Well, this is the first, band we ever, first album we ever covered <laughs> first on the show. First album we ever covered, yeah. And uh, we covered them in the Damnation episode where we saw them live as well. And this is just a masterwork of progressive metal. Mm-hmm. Um, with all sorts of influences from like death metal to like southern rock. All the way through to like classical piano stuff and bits from insect warfare and grindcore laid into this beautifully written just slab of wonderful progressive metal. Yeah, they, they, this is like an incredibly ambitious album. It's 13 tracks long. They try loads of different things. They've like, got a lot of weird interludes on it, like Lullaby is just like mm. the the awesome vocalist Cammy just essentially showing off her voice over these really mellow guitar passages. Then like the opener, Winter, which I think is the song we played last time, starts off kind of mellow, sort of doomy guitars with Cammy's vocals and builds up into this like monstrous like death metal song mm. with all the vocalists. Mm. Like, all the other members of the band coming in on uh, like harsh vocals. Um, if you hadn't heard the first episode, we should probably explain the lineup. Is um, there a six piece with uh, Dobba Beverly playing drums and piano? I think he's like the main songwriter behind it. He seems to have a big influence on that. And then you have Sean Gray on guitar and vocals, uh, Anthony Contreras guitar and vocals as well, and Keegan Kelly bass and vocals, and then Cammy uh, Gilbert, who's just like. A completely original voice in metal. I don't yeah. think we've 
ever heard anyone quite like her over this kind of music. She's got this sort of blues and soul, like Southern American, they're a band from Texas, and they really bring this through. And her vocal performances are incredible. They, they just, as we were saying, this is something you don't really hear before, particularly over progressive metal. And songs like um, Suffer the Last Bridge, which sounds like a sort of progressive metal take on a southern like rock anthem Mm -hmm. like they really incorporate these varying influences into this just awesome stuff and again so it's sort of got a central vocal performance but this is to not underestimate the musicianship of everything that's going on Mm -hmm. there's some fantastic guitar solos and just some awesome riffs which have an incredible atmosphere to them as well as having really heavy really punchy riffs like you might find in songs like Apologue yeah, yeah. Like, it's an apologue, uh, as Rob mentioned, descends into, like, pro- like there is a riff in it, and we cover with the vocal deliveries on. It's literally slam death metal. Yeah. And then, yeah. then as I say, other points, you've got Lullaby, which is just beautiful, clean singing. And yeah. So it's a really varied release, and, like, Dobber's drumming throughout is so varied. It, Amazing, yeah. You can hold down an incredible groove, and then he'll just move around the kit in ways that you just don't expect him to, and fills that you can barely follow, but manage to accentuate the point of the music so nicely. Yeah, it, it really is quite a kind of mesmerising piece. And then you have Cammy, who's clearly putting a lot of her kind of like hearts and soul into the vocals. These, these are very personal, kind of tragic lyrics. And she seems like when, when we've seen them live, she seems to have a real investment in the concept and seems, mm. you know, like some of the tracks she seems genuinely cut up about singing and like, that's kind of incredible. Yeah, it's, it's really worth checking out. They have some live studio performances on YouTube, which if you want a flavour of the band, have a watch of these because the musicianship is pretty much perfect. Like, yeah. I can't spot no flaws in anything. The video for Winter just has to be seen. It's incredible. And continuing their tradition, um, which they've been doing since the early days, like, they started back in 2011. So, really mm. new band to, yeah. like, be this damn good. Um, they keep doing covers on their albums and they yeah. do brilliant things with covers the cover on this album is uh, Nights in White Satin by the Moody Blues and yeah they put a blast beat in a Moody Blues song yeah, and it yeah. works it's it's remarkable like the, the blast beat doesn't feel like it's something out of death metal it feels atmospheric and it emphasises the point of the song and previously they've covered uh, Solitude by Candlemass which is again an awesome cover and Cashmere by Led Zeppelin <laughs> 12 like, minute version yeah, of it these amazingly epic songs which they just bring this tour de force of different influences to which is just phenomenal so wait I think we've gone on about them enough because we've done three shows on them now <laughs> in the Grand Tour of 8 episodes so you can kind of tell we're obsessed but we thought um, really great way to end out the year with uh, the podcast is to play the final track from the album This Road which is an incredibly like long emotional number and yeah I'd say it's my favourite track off the album yeah it's just like some beautiful keyboard passages and so on but yeah quite quite uh, different to say if you heard Winter on the previous episode so yeah this is Oceans of Slumber This Road
Thank you.